the future of photography. Hello and welcome back to The Future of Photography. This is episode 142. My name is Chris Marquardt and the whole gang is together again. Hello, Jeremiah, Adrian and Imar. How are you doing? Hi, everybody. We're good. Hi. Marvelous. Thank you. That is good. Um, yes, we, um, we have, you know, we have these little series of episodes that um, we follow every other episode or just whenever it feels right and we are doing an, just a new episode or a new series of episodes and it truly is about the future of photography mm. and um, we are going to cut this into bits where we look at different areas of photography and today it's about cameras so Adrian why don't you pick this up and lead us into the topic Sure, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be an opportunity for wild speculation for which mm. everybody refuses to be held accountable. So what, <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? That's you know? cool, it's, that's it's fun. This is, this is one of the, my favourite things about doing this podcast is that you could just say whatever you like, you can make it up and everything is good. Because it's, mm -hmm. you know, and yeah, no such thing as a bad idea, right? Unless, of course, you're going to ship an 8K camera that doesn't actually work. But that's, that's another oh, story. That's another that story. was a burn. Oh, what a burn. <laughs> no, is there a camera? And user in the house. Oh dear, I didn't know that. Sorry. I do. I do have. I do have a few interesting things that I just found this week. Okay, let's let's keep going. Let's keep going. So no, the, 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 it is a joke. Um, uh, uh, not the camera. My my, my what, what I said was the joke. Um, because it's this is we live in a strange times, and and he, and the camera industry seems to be acting even more strangely than you might think because there's been a ton of new hardware announcements recently lots and lots of great stuff out there fantastic stuff out there all sorts of toys and gizmos and gadgets for everybody and yet all of that is set in a context of a market that is massively failing you know even without the impact of a global pandemic the market was was reducing 20 percent year on year um, and so that to me seems a, a little odd i would have expected to see maybe some consolidation i don't know i don't know or well having said that um it's already you know, happening isn't it perhaps it is at the, at the higher level maybe not the product product level but at the company level what with olympus being sold off hopefully to stay around kodak kodak is pivoted to become a cosmetics company i believe <laughs> um only only 15 years after fuji did the same thing um so it, all of this is definitely, you know, begs the question for me, what does this mean for the future of photography? And for this mini series, we're setting a time horizon and we're going to speculate to a specific time horizon. I'm hoping we've set it so that it's far enough away for change, um, but not so far away that 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 we can't imagine it in a coherent way. And or so make fools of ourselves. It, well, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't mind doing that. I mean, yeah, this is uh, that, like I say, that's one of the, the benefits of doing this podcast. But it's so we're setting a time horizon of 10 years and we're going to ask what do cameras look like? What does shooting look like? What do, uh, yeah, what does output look like? All sorts of things we're going to ask about the, the future of photography 10 years from now. But today we'll focus on cameras. Uh, because there have been a bunch of camera announcements recently and it's it, it, i thought it'd be an interesting place for us to start so um also yeah. isn't it ironic that despite the decrease in uh the market for cameras as you've pointed out uh people have 
never taken as many photos as they do and have in the last few years. So the growth of capture is Mm. insane relative are we are we speculating that it that is going to be accelerating and continuing with this trend or are we at one point going to be saturated uh no i think language of visuals uh, is just as it becomes easier and easier to manifest uh so the technology will either lead or follow but i think that uh whether it's messaging, Instagramming, or some version of storytelling like that, as people um, are, in many ways, reading less or less literate, and I'm speculating here, but I think that's true. There's less emphasis on um, uh, literate uh, education, shall we? I mean, maybe not in Ireland, but certainly here. Um you know, the basics, reading, writing, and arithmetic are like things of the past. Uh, and, and, and so... <laughs> Is it that um, bad? I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying that there'll be more visuals. It's just a thing. It's just, just a thing. A thing. It's a, it is interesting. And you, Radically you, different. It, you, you, you've conflated there, Jeremiah, right back to the first of what you said there. You've conflated the traditional camera market with the way that people take photographs today. And and as and as we know, those are not necessarily particularly connected anymore. And and this is part for me. This is part of what, yeah the, the 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 very heart of the conversation I was hoping we'd have today. Because I can't imagine ten years from now picking up a camera that looks like a, a dedicated camera looks today. And yeah, there'll be some niche stuff, I'm sure. Mm. But yeah, I can't imagine that people will be doing things in the same way. And, and, you know, do I think that everybody's going to have little drones that follow them around and are powered by thought? Well, no, I don't. Not 10 years out. I think that's a okay, little let, bit far-fetched. Let me, let me put a question out. Does anyone remember what happened with digital cameras when digital photography became a thing? I distinctly remember them experimenting a lot, trying a lot, going a lot for like weird shapes and stuff that you suddenly could do with a sensor and a, and a screen and, and a battery. And most of those did not stick around. Most of those went away. And we are now in this, in this entirely traditional shaped camera wave again. Every camera looks like a camera again. Um, so we already had this kind of a playful approach to the to the way cameras look and it hasn't stuck it is back that's to, a really back good point to the retro thing again that's a really good point and i shoot fujis which were part of their branding Super retro is, yeah. is the that is the retro stuff and a dial for everything uh, and it, it is weird because you know broadly speaking everything comes back to a shape that you could call slr shape right mm. broad broadly um and and some and i think in a lot of ways that is insane i mean that's what leads to ca- uh, canon shipping an 8k video camera that overheats in 10 minutes i mean it, it the, because the the shape of that camera is wrong for for the functionality that they're trying to put into it uh, so it? it's a very strange thing <laughs> but i, I could make a i could make a point about automobile design um one could argue that uh, Tesla, which you know is uh, arguably a uh, extraordinarily innovative car company, um, when you look at it, it, looks like a traditional car. It has a steering wheel, it has signals, and yet 
It has a lot of enhancements that make the experience of driving it a little bit different. Some would say very different. And so I think there is comfort in familiarity in terms of operating and how we move people uh, from a innovative design to a familiarity of usage. Uh, and a, a good example would be a TV grid. I mean, there's all manner of ways to familiarize uh, oneself with what's playing on TV. One could do a Google search, one could read magazines and whatnot. But when one looks at a TV grid, which is just boxes and text, one immediately knows how to use it. Um, a telephone, no matter if it's a rotary dial or a push-button dial, we know instinctively how to use it. And so moving people to new ways of, of having a relationship with hardware is one conversation with uh, the other part of the conversation is what is the hardware capable of and what, is it, what does it do? And there's that gray area, like those vector graphs that intersect, is how do you move design and functionality up towards innovation in usage that moves a consumer base with it so it's like, oh, yeah, it's a camera. I, I know I don't have to study a, a complete manual uh, in order to take this picture. In other words, where's that button? I'm sure we've all experienced adapting or adopting some new piece of technology and going, well, where's the volume control or <laughs> s something basic? <laughs> Um, so it, it, innovation and movement into the future in terms of innovation has got to be coalesced around what sells, uh, what can be manufactured, which is the other thing. Do you have to retool entire factories and the ease of adopting from consumers? And uh, your particular pick of the week is something that we'll talk about later, but is a perfect example of something that seemed like a good idea, but was not. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna say yes to all of the, all of that because I think you're right. There's a lot of good points in there, and I'm also gonna. I, I'd really like to hear from Ema because Ema has already taken the step. Uh, of the four of us, probably the the furthest step away from a traditional looking camera mm. um and uh, arguably is is the of the four of us the one who is most stepping towards the future of photography in in the hardware sense sure I agree. Um, so yeah because i i don't i think to to consider to consider what went happened in the past with innovative digital camera designs is is good and to learn from that is good mm. to consider where we go next i i've got to say i don't see the camera of the future being branded as Canon or Nikon, mm. possibly Sony because they have so many fingers in so many pies. But I, I just don't see it. I, I don't see it being like that. But but Ema, I mean, what's what, what's your what's your view on all of this? When I'm thinking about this and I was thinking about, you know, how what what, what direction is it all going in? I feel like everything is going to be wearable. So I think the cameras that we have are going to be wearable. For, That's you know, interesting. 
even in 10 years, um, <clears throat> I think the kind of, I watched a thing, <laughs> I watched a thing on Netflix um, lately on the um, suggestion of a friend of mine. And it was about, um, it was about these sort of daredevil guys um, in wingsuits um, flying down mountains. I think they, they call them squirrels, but yeah. Footage <laughs> that they were capturing on their helmet cams with, I presume, what I presume were GoPros was absolutely out of this world um, and, and translated to this an absolutely enormous screen that to me was like a cinema screen that I was watching it on. I couldn't just get over the definition of it and how everything looked. And I think as we go forward, that's more of that's going to be get even bigger. You know, everybody seems to have dash cams, um, <laughs> helmet cams, uh, strapped onto them everywhere they go now. So I think it's not that far of a departure to think that, you know, I could have something attached to me when I go out for my walks that I can just, you know, remotely click a button or that, you know, I, I can um, blink video. Uh, yeah. or Yeah. And it, that's not that far away, I don't think. That's Because everything... As everything gets smaller, I know there's nothing quite like a big, hefty, chunky camera to hold. But um, the practicality of that, I suppose, is but then you only have one everybody. camera, don't you? So what you've talked to a little bit there is the the is the ubi- ubiquity, if that's the right word, uh, yeah. of the hardware. Cameras everywhere. You know, one on your dashboard, one on your hat. You know, one on your your wrist or something like that. You know, and one uh, in your glasses. Yeah. Wow, yeah. one on your glasses as well. Yeah, I mean that's that's an interesting thing because I thought specifically about. I think Ema, you've taken a, a thought that I had a little bit of, but you've taken it further, which is great. But the the thought I had specifically was about the glasses, and I've been, and I had a bit of an epiphany about glasses, and it was nothing to do about social acceptance, and it was yeah. everything to do about composition, because okay. if you're taking a photo with a camera that's stuck to the side of your head, yeah, you're <laughs> always going to get a shot at head height now yeah. granted you can lie on the ground but typically when you lie on the ground i don't know about you but my neck doesn't bend backwards <laughs> far enough for me to take a photograph of anything other than the ground <laughs> I've, I've i've just just uh, the other day i've come across uh, some video of a guy arguing like like a, a guy with a with um, a fisherman and he was arguing about the spot that someone else has taken and uh, it was it was a video shot from chest height he had a body cam of sorts and it was on and it was recording and um, so you could see his hands doing things in front of the camera and it was a very interesting viewpoint and these cameras are there they're out there and uh, if it's it, it might just be a GoPro strapped to a little harness or it might just be something that you put in your shirt pocket and it sticks out on the top and looks at, at the front. Even but if you go I, back to the likes of the Lytro, which was, you know, was kind of a big disaster or whatever. <laughs> but I mean, to take that forward and actually if the, if they actually managed to make that work on some cohesive kind of level and put it into a little small device like the size that was, but, but, imagine the portability and possibility of having that attached to you but for this to become the future of cameras we'd have to have a big social change because people do not accept these things usually yeah Yeah. i i think we also have to discuss um uh possibly uh as we kind of approach it i I think uh composition is enormous uh part of this 
uh, conversation, which is, are we just capturing um, an experience or uh, police uh, wearing body cams or dash cams? In other words, are we only interested in the information without a sense of aesthetic control or limitation that presents a point of view that is more than just, I have this experience that I'm going to share with you. Mm. It doesn't really matter if I see three more trees on both sides of the frame or or less, because mm. you're focused on me just barely uh, missing that uh, uh, mountain ledge in my squirrel suit. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, so uh, that takes your breath away. Um, and yes, but it's the experience. But in terms of control of an aesthetic, which is presenting a limited point of view, there needs to be some kind of, of control for that kind of expression. Now, that's something like that can be adopted later. In other words, if I can just take a willy-nilly shot that's, you know, 20K, and uh, we can't even really see 20K, but when I get back to my high-speed and unbelievable supercomputer at home, I just kind of like the reality that I experienced that capture in, then I go like, okay, here's my composition and recapture it. That's a real possibility. And instead of, you know, running around and stopping on the street and composing it, you just compose the moment by capturing it, everything around it, even 360, and are able to kind of flatten it or change it or, you know, panoramicize it. Mm whatever, and create the boundaries. Both are possible, and we should really talk about um, architecture of cameras uh, as they diverge into that, because they seem to be diverging. That is a really good point, Jeremiah, because I also thought about that in the sense of a 360 camera and there are plenty of 360 cameras out there today um why they um i guess more correctly we would call them spherical or, or nearly mm. spherical um and again i came up with the same issue i had with the 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 glasses which is an issue of intent behind composition so yes mm. you can capture anything within a spherical position of where your camera is is but you you still have you still that's still not for me is the same the same as composition um it's still you're not making a choice there about you know what gets exaggerated in the mm. foreground um uh i was out a couple of days ago uh we were at a place called guildford castle which is a a ruined castle in the middle of guildford um and but the flowers they plant in the grounds there were amazingly in bloom and I, what i wanted was was the the ruined keep on the hill at the top of my shot and lots and lots of colorful flowers in the bottom of my shot and i was able to do that i did it i think by going around behind a fence and sticking my phone through the railings and mm -hmm. right by the flowers and pointing it in a certain way and you know doing that to two or three times till I got a composition I liked and 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 all the rest of it all the rest of what actually making a photograph means rather than just doing a, a generic capture mm. and sorting mm. it out later so I, I I still think for me for me personally the the spherical thing isn't going to work either yeah I had an experience uh with uh, early uh 360 spherical cameras in storytelling um one of my colleagues at the uh, Directors Guild 
uh, was involved in an experiment and, and shared it with me so that uh, it was a, you know, a 10-minute short um, uh, that t took place in and around a playground with, uh, with a child that goes missing and, and is found but allowed the viewer to kind of move through the playground, observe the different people there, watch the kids, watch what's happening. It was, it was compelling only for its technical ability, hmm. but I kept feeling that there was no guiding hand of the artist to be able to tell me the story. I was experiencing a reality, which again, if I could go and, and think about, well, you know, I'm thinking of going to this resort in Kyushu, and I'd really like to get a sense of what's around it. I know their advertising looks all idealized, but mm. let me see it, it, what kind, is there a garbage dump next door? Or, <laughs> like, I, I want to know the reality. So if I put on a headset and I experience moving through an artificial reality or actually a, a spherically captured reality that literally gave me at least the visuals, that would be very helpful to me, but it would be very different than a guided hand in terms of an aesthetic that took me through an experience. And again, Also, that really sounds like, like that you're an avatar in a game. So the way you describe that experience just it would feel like I was playing a video game. That's like interactive tv or is that what was that was that the that was a brief thing yeah <laughs> <laughs> well the, 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 the thing i get don't get about that though is, is where I do you put why. the lights and the crew <laughs> because yeah well you turn uh, around what are you going to see well you're going to see all the crew aren't you yes, <laughs> no I, I i've actually done this adrian uh, where where you choose your location so that there are ditches and berms and whatnot, <laughs> and literally everybody just Duck. jumps down <laughs> into these things and come like literally holding lights and as the camera moves away dipping down and uh, yeah it's a it's a challenge <laughs> it is wow. a lot of effort yeah. you need a choreographer for your crew mm. it's called a director. <laughs> okay, so point. so the, the original intent of this episode was to look at the future of cameras. Um, Chris, take did, a run. Did we? What did, do you did, think a camera is going to look like in ten years? Um, in ten years, yes, not that much different from now nowadays. We'll still have two camps. We'll have the traditionalists with um, their cameras that look like cameras, and then we'll have the uh, the other side wearables. of things the wearables and the smartphones and things um that's for, for in 10 years no, no problem if we go out further then things will change and cameras will be do you think the mirrorless thing will take over completely oh yeah, yeah clearly completely absolutely no yeah. doubt yeah about no that. doubt about so. yeah no doubt about that no but if if we go further cameras will be more ubiquitous they will be everywhere they will be integrated into things society will change our 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 way of dealing with the whole privacy thing will probably change and then we'll have everything shot all the time from every angle i've i've had this in 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 another thing years ago where we talked about that uh what what it will look like 100 years out and uh, i talked about uh, photographic archaeology where you'd have like yeah. this whole this whole big blob of all the video and all the photos and everything from all sides and all angles and you would have to go in there and then dig out 
the photos, but you could dig out any photo because everything is shot from everywhere, uh, from every angle. Um, not in 10 years, clearly not in 10 years. No, so. when you extrapolate that into, you know, supercomputers or quantum computing and the computer is fed every image that was ever taken, all images that are going on now, whether and then, they and then we'll probably not care anymore because then we'll have the super AI that has taken over. Exactly. Anyway. <laughs> you know, all the history that's ever been written, all the news and, and the computers reaching a certain consciousness, yes. right? Because that's what it is when they yes. can process as fast as the human brain. They won't need uh, us in a while. No, the age of spiritual machines. That book is, uh, was ahead of its time. Mm -hmm. but but that that that's quite different than what we're getting at i th I think that it's true there's going to be in 10 years cameras will look somewhat the way they look they might have uh, different capabilities yes but a uh, different story because yeah. like for example lenses lens design there may be a breakthrough in the kind of glass that may be liquid so that the lens itself could adapt or change. I don't think that's mm -hmm. going to happen in 10 years, mm -hmm. but maybe in 25, there'll be a way uh, so that one piece of hardware is many lenses. Mm -hmm. And I'm not talking about zooms. I'm talking mm -hmm. about fixed focus lenses that will adapt and morph and change yeah. based on one's uh, intention. Mm. You could see that. I, I would I even I would even think that is likely to be there in ten years. Yes, could be. Yeah, could be. Um, uh, certainly, sensitivity is something. Um, you know, in terms of chip design, how sharp is sharp? Uh, we may be to the point where what we need to do is not increase the sharpness or accuracy of our captures, but mm -hmm. uh, have the ability to soften it. To um, to emulate more of how we see things, infinite resolution. I mean, that's that's one thing that um, is is we're moving towards something like that because we are already we already kind of have this with our high de uh, with our high DPI retina screens, where the resolution that we look at is virtual, where we where it's so fine that you cannot really see the points anymore um, unless you're like five years old. And uh, and then it doesn't matter, but but now you you switch into to a virtual resolution. I'm pretty sure we are going somewhere like that with cameras, so that uh, I don't know, 500 megapixels in a chip is nothing. But but you you don't need those 500 megapixels. You you'll create the virtual resolution of whatever you need. I mean, that's something that is uh, ten years. Yeah, I'm using not sure, a, but. AI. Uh, so I think if if we direct uh, traditional cameras to uh, a lens design that is, uh, mm -hmm. or that will be fluid, uh, and uh, and chip design that are infinite. The um, design of the actual camera uh, should probably end up to be somewhat familiar, but and because of the design, may be a little bit different. And with all that stuff under the hood, Fuji cameras will still look like they are thirty years old. <laughs> <laughs> And long may that continue. But okay, all right. So this is an interesting conversation because it's it, it's gone in a different direction from how I imagined it would be. I I've kind of got my my thinking is 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 based around two things that I see happening as trends, if you like. One one is the the trend of computational photography, uh, which we talk about a lot, of course. Um, and the second is is the trend in. Um, 
well to to the, the, just just to acknowledge the numbers that that far more cameras are sold in in phones or personal devices of some sort or another than they are as dedicated units um so i i'm i've got two things that i think may feature in cameras 10 years from now for uh, enabled by those two te- enabled by the two technologies firstly i think i think we'll see more separation of the capture device and the composition device um, so what I mean by that is that um, it is simply to have two two things, two, two machines, two pieces of equipment that talk to each other. Clearly, everybody already carries a screen around with them. So, you know, by default, I can imagine that, uh, you know, your phone would be a, a fantastic monitor, if you like. I guess I'm borrowing here in part from from the, the, the film and video industries where often the monitors are separate from the cameras. Mm. Uh, I think that that has potential because as people take more and more photographs on their phones, the thing that's difficult is is, when the when you're composing on a phone is that you, of course, the screen has to point away from your image, which means you have to be directly behind the direction of shooting in order to see it. Um, What's nice about being able to decouple those things is that you could actually be far more physically comfortable and also far more discreet, perhaps. Uh, so mm-hmm. I think that's the thing that's going to happen. And I also think that the, uh, the 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 opposite could also be true, where the phone becomes the capture device and something like glasses or something else become the composing device. So because your phone 10 years from now, whatever device we carry or call, call it 10 years from now, is going to have a blend of hardware and software that allows you to... Uh, very sophisticatedly emulate mm. whatever you could get from any kind uh, of physical lens. Maybe Can not ask, to the point where all high-end pros need it, but for the vast majority of people, that would be perfectly all right. Can I ask Emer mm. a question here? Emer, um, mm-hmm. can you see in 10 years the possibility that we will not be carrying phones? Now you're going into dystopia again, but um, no, I'm, I I'm not talking about. That is our, a possibility uh, in some scenarios. I'm not saying <laughs> that we won't have the ability to communicate using some device that interpersonalizes it. That's not what I'm saying. Yeah, but it won't look like this, right? It it, it, yeah. it won't be a brick that's like, "Where's my phone?" Yeah, it will be something that is smaller. I always imagine. on us. Like a communicator or, you know, something small. Like, <laughs> that was like, Star Trek like territory. <laughs> wearable. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we're going down that road anyway, aren't we? You know, I mean, they, they have become so ubiquitous to everyday life that the, the logical thing to do is to make them smaller and less conspicuous and less awkward to carry. So we'll end up with, uh, with On the other hand, badge. when they've tried That's small, okay tiny phones, people didn't like them. Too small. Too small. Too well, but, but that, it, that it was a problem. The screen you... was too small, right? If you have that built into your glasses, <laughs> then the phone can See, be. If you go down, if you go down Adrian's theory of having like um, a composition device, and then I mean your your little badge here could be, you know, the device, your sort of the communication end of it, yeah. and then the other piece of equipment could be um, just you know to use for your photography and just to make your your um, compositions and decide what you want to photograph. So that, I can, I can and see. And they could be separate from each other in that, you know, if you just want to talk I, to I somebody, can, you yeah. just have your badge. And, but I you could, take I could see out. big capture and 
restricted composition as two different uh, items. Mm. I can see that. Now I'm picturing you with a hat where they're like with a 360 <laughs> spherical camera coming out of the top of it. <laughs> <laughs> I still so uh, this is, I mean this is interesting isn't it it is very interesting I mean oh, yes. I I have to say that you know fo- following the mainstream progression uh, at the moment uh, I still see that primarily the the capture device of choice will be whatever passes for a personal computer you know and I say a oh, pocket computer if you want to yeah. call it that you know uh, yeah. or in of the day I think you know uh, and yeah okay that might be a slightly boring speculation because we're already there but hey hey ho it works doesn't it um but I think that the I think that you know where experiments like that Zeiss camera that had Lightroom built into it and and those sorts of things have failed never happened I, I never think, materialized <laughs> I don't <laughs> think there's going to be a marketplace for dedicated an economically viable marketplace for for dedicated cameras that once well, the, once the 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 equivalent of phones and once the computational mm. photography gets powerful enough uh, you know many i would predict speculate most amateur photographers yeah. who let's face it are the heart of that market uh, are going to walk away from their dedicated cameras mm. or they'll become okay. collectors items let me ask you a question Hypothetically, mm-hmm. you've just got a new job. You're making a ton of money. You've just been appointed the head of design for Nikon <laughs> or Nikon, as you're going to say. Okay. Well, I'm making, I'm making, I'm making cosmetics now, am I? <laughs> <laughs> the question, you've just come into the office. Here's your team. And it's like, okay, guys, here's what we have to aim for in 10 years. We're going to develop what so that you know what is, is it a sign question. that uh, like those companies have gone towards things like so radically different like cosmetics that they the people um sitting around in their think tanks haven't got a clue what's going to happen in the next 10 years that they can't you know it seems really strange that they would go so far away from their own field and not try to jump on board with um whatever is coming down the road or try to help develop it in I some mean, way I mean, the, the one thing that I see is um, if you look at how fashion works, how the style of cloth and the style of shoes is, it doesn't really like happen. It's more defined by these companies and then mm-hmm. marketed. And then they know two years in advance what colors will be the colors of the summer. Because um, they need to prepare, they need to buy, they need to produce, they need to be ready, they need to market everything. And I I see something similar happening in the camera industry because I know, I I used to work in the computer industry. I know that the, the next printer fax copy machine that would replace all the other stuff that was sold individually... Um, was ready 10 years in advance. It was in the labs. They had it running. They just didn't sell it because they didn't want to ca- cannibalize their printer market, their fax market, their whatever. So sure. so I'm, I'm pretty sure these guys know what's going to happen in 10 years because they're already building it now. They're testing it. Mm. They're, they're farming it out to testers, um, maybe in early prototypes. But um, the, the development but, cycles in these things are relatively long. We're looking so, yeah. at an Apple product being being five years in a, in, the, in the development queue. So I'll, I'll so, give you that for one of the current major manufacturers. I'd say Sony are capable of that. I, I and you think say, the others are all reactive? 
Uh, I'd say Nikon probably at this point, as much as I love Nikon, they're probably too small to survive. Uh, I'd say because they don't have the diverse portfolio that Fuji and, and Kodak had, um, you know, so uh, or, or the sheer scale of Canon. Um, I, so I, I am very worried about Nikon uh, because I, I don't think uh, I don't see anything from them that that, that stems the tide. Uh, so, yeah, so that that sounds like a, a slow agonizing death um what i envision is more like something will come along that no one really has on the radar right now that will disrupt this entire thing and, and that, i agree mm-hmm. okay that's what i that's what i mean I, I, so if i look across the the the, you know, the large camera manufacturers right now um there are there are some that can afford to have a space in a niche market. And Fuji, I would count in that because they're such a large corporation that do other things as well. There are some that I think are part, so intrinsically part of the manufacturer of devices that they're going to stay there. Sony being the obvious one makes the census for everybody. Um, others, I think, you know, they, others, others, I think are, are at risk. So I don't, I don't know that the cat, I don't know that the camera I'm going to shoot in 10 years time it ha- has a badge on it that is the name of a current camera manufacturer. Do you think that that companies that work in, for example, defense or uh, the space program, etc., uh, will through their R and D and discovery create that oh breakthrough in what we were talking about before, lens design or capture design? Uh, it certainly won't be ergonomic design, but but. Because that is really that will come to adapt those things. But it, you know, when you talk to, about photography, really what you're talking about is the ability to capture light through what we now see as glass or fluorite, or whatever. Well, you could you could draw uh, quite easily. You could draw a line from JFK through to camera bags, um, because simply through the invention of Velcro. You know, like, um, you know, so it is it is true that, that these huge initiatives based around science and engineering do pay off for photographers. <laughs> it's like, so uh, but but I don't I, I don't know. The simple answer to your question, Jeremiah, is I don't know because I'm not connected enough to that world to know. Except to know my question on. really is what would you like to see? Now that you're running the innovation labs at uh, Nikon and they're on life support, according to mm-hmm. you, uh, you have another year or so to at least redirect the company and you have unlimited resources. What would you ask for? Uh, that it, it's a oh, really that, good that's question. A, that's, a think, one. that's a mean one. That's a mean one. No, and I, I, I'll take a fair, I'll take a punt at you know, at answering it because I think you know I I I feel that if I'm going to say things like I'm very worried about Nikon, I'm not I'm not condemning them in any way or no. wanting to say that they're doing bad things. So I hope that's not what's coming across. What I'm coming no, no. across is that I love the products they make and I'm worried that they won't exist anymore. Yeah, they'll be. And I would many. say to them, you've got to tap into. You, you, you've got to tap into something that is going to have some legs over the next decade. Now, you know, we've made jokes about Kodak becoming a cosmetics company today, but if you read the history of what happened to Kodak and what happened to Fujifilm at the end of the film era and the rise of the digital era, people say, very often say, it's kind of a, an, an urban myth, if you like, that, that Kodak failed to take decisions. That's really not true really not true kodak made lots of investments into digital technologies they 
misread the market and it turned out that they basically lost money hand over fist um, and but it, it's certainly not true that they didn't take decisions they did and they made lots of investments but sadly nobody really wanted to go down to their local chemists to to use a computer in a box to get a cd rom and they <laughs> and they also but, had a, a cash cow business which was film and it was so big that the, the other stuff never really get the attention that it should have had yeah well I, I i've read i've read that story as well of course we all have I, i i don't know and and i wasn't there so i can't call it but but i i don't i don't think it's for lack of trying Whereas oh no no Fuji they they, they they built the first uh, digital slr they were exactly um they exactly. they were they were forerunners absolutely they were and uh Exactly. Whereas what what food, one of the things that Fujifilm did is they went back to their base scientific and engineering knowledge. They looked at their portfolio of technology and knowledge and they realized that actually some of their chemical knowledge was very valuable in the cosmetics industry. And that is why today a huge range of cosmetics produced globally have chemicals in them, base, base chemicals, base elements that come from Fujifilm. Uh, and that was what that was what. <laughs> allowed fuji to survive even though the film production market was, was you know sinking into the swamp well K so, kodak has just received another lifeline because exactly. they, they've just received three quarters of a million dollars from uh from the u.s government because they are now going into yeah you said cosmetics billion it's, it's, it, billion uh, yeah yes. it's 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 almost uh it's almost now uh, I, th i think it's more like a medication stuff that is traditionally produced in india and china that they want to bring back home something like that I, something I, like i'm that. no doubt getting it horribly wrong and <laughs> listeners please correct me um i but but the, but but it's, it's 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 the right direction and uh and yeah there, there's a pivot Happening. Also, uh, yeah, early to the market. I mean, uh, how many of us are using Casio cameras today? <laughs> good call. I haven't good seen point. one in years. No, uh, but but Casio is one of the first consumer-based, uh, you know, 300K um, yeah. digital cameras with a little micro. That, My first yep. digital camera was an HP I was yeah, yeah I mine was because I used to work for HP in those days. I remember I did, when yes. HP manufactured <laughs> yeah. companies, uh, cameras. Sorry, um, but uh, yeah, so so there's there's a lot going on here. But I I think yeah, I I, I expect cameras to become more modular in that sense. In that that you know, whichever way you choose to do it, I think there'll be. I think you'll have a mainstream of people using whatever is their device of choice on the day, which clearly will have lots and lots of powerful computational mm -hmm. photography built into it. And enthusiasts might have add-ons like glasses or, I don't know, a Bluetooth shutter button. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, no, I've already got one of those. <laughs> But I, I, could, I could very much see uh, uh, cameras being ordered much the way we, we uh, buy cars, which is, you know, here's the box. Or, or the device, what do you want on it? Uh, this yeah. kind of innovated glass, this kind of... Well, object, isn't it already there in the video world? Close. Look at there. Red. Look at Red. The, the, you, you, yeah. you, pick, you pick your camera, you piece it together from different elements. Yeah, I'd say that, you know, the knock uh, on Red, of course, and, you know, used them for since they started, was we always uh, used to say that Red is a computer with a lens on it. Yeah. And w when you're shooting... Uh, the capture and the the result is absolutely beautiful, but the process, unlike the Ari Alexa, doesn't feel like a camera. It feels like a computer with a lens on it. Mm -hmm. So it's like menus. By the way, it's my knock on Sony cameras. I think Sony is 
you know, they have beautiful lenses and they have beautiful um, chipsets and, and the, the work is really, really nice. But you have to be an engineer to scroll through the menus to make it kind of instinctive for me. Not, not, not saying that that is for everyone, but, but for me, it doesn't feel intuitive. Um, you know, so, but, but, uh, so I think there's that disconnect between the engineers who are innovating in one way, the designers, the marketers, and the uh, end user. And so I, I, I think uh, we have a long way to go before we figure out 10 years from now what a good experience would be. So, so 45 minutes into this episode, do we know we have no what idea. cameras are going to look like in 10 years? <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe we should just split this up here and uh, go into our picks of the week. So, yeah, which, which, which makes perfect sense. So let's see, Adrian, how about you? Oh, I've got a great one here. My, my pick of the week is a newly released camera from Sony. Uh, it's, is it it's newly got, released? <laughs> it, may, it may not even have hit the markets yet. It may not even have hit the shops yet. But this 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 year's Christmas win will be the the, the Sony QX10 or maybe the QX100 if you want the one with the longer zoom lens. I think this is this is the epitome of what I think cameras ten years from now will look like. Now clearly this is a, a blast. Isn't, from isn't the this past. like about ten years old? Uh, I'm yeah. not quite. I think. I think from my from my reading, 2013, these okay. cameras were launched, and they were launched as companions to phones, where your uh-huh. capture device would be a separate device from your phone. And yes, you could use it. Um, uh, you could, the capture device just on its own, just as point and shoot, but it had no user interface essentially, other than a shutter button. Um, mm. So uh, I I think this is what's missing from mobile phone photography because as i get older it's slightly more challenging to throw myself into the ground to the (laughs) ground or contort into weird positions to get the image if i could just like grab the grab the camera the lens in my other hand and and just shove that through the railings of the fence instead Uh, that'd be much easier (laughs) as someone who who actually was so excited when this came out that i went and bought it i i would say this uh particular combination of lens and iPhone was one of my biggest regrets. (laughs) It quickly became completely impractical. So if I wanted to shoot something, I needed to clip it onto the phone. Oh, it doesn't work with every phone case. So I had to get a new phone case. Then you have to connect it with Bluetooth. Then, Then talk about ergonomics or lack thereof. Uh, by the time I, I, I actually got to use it, uh, and you know, I, I forget what the um, sharpness or the megapixel strength. It had a little mini card in it, but I, I could have gotten out my four by five, set it up on the <laughs> tripod, loaded the film, <laughs> and put it. In, developed it. Yeah, you could have ground the glass yourself, couldn't you? Yeah. And and uh, it just it was a good idea, but it wasn't. Uh, intuitive enough no so 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 i am imagining that this is uh they, they have another go at it um uh and that the technology that we have available to us 10 years from now and uh, uh you know can iron out all of those creases that you experienced <laughs> sure. to make it a, a you know a, a, a lot more maybe um, they learned something from it so <laughs> yeah. jeremiah what is your pick of the week uh i picked uh, just the uh, overall subject of uh, lookup tables 
or LUTs, as mm -hmm. they're called. Um, I'm a big fan of them, both in film and photography. I just posted an article on them. Uh, but uh, I, I do feel in innovative uh, camera design, there will be the ability to capture a LUT. And by that, I mean capture what we call in, in 3D um, creation uh, HDRIs, which are the capture of light and color. Um, and it's, it's not a preset. It, it really does read the entire kind of body of reflectivity and, and color and density and vibrance and be able to quickly apply it to uh, whatever shoot, whatever we want. So if we, we see an image, we can just capture it. We can, and then we can emulate that look and feel within our own um, photography. And this is someone who primarily works in black and white, so it's ironic I'm talking about this. But but uh, color work is um, with LUTs is something that uh, Photoshop has been. It's one of the hidden beauties of Photoshop that you can actually use LUTs to color time uh, one's images, and it really makes a beautiful, beautiful um, difference uh, other than uh, looking at presets, which are very, very different. So um, I think the use of LUTs and how we apply them to the end game is something that I believe will be integrated into cameras of the future. All right. I will go right. next and I'll pick an event that is coming up. It's called Out of Chicago in Depth. Um, Out of Chicago is a series of um, photography conferences that have been around for a while with a destination conference as well out of uh, out of Moab, out of Acadia, for example. Chris Smith from Chicago is, is the one who's masterminds this. And he has created an, a virtual online event um, starting on August the 21st to the 23rd then there's a week of assignments and then there's a epic group image reviews and the reason I'm talking about it is because I am one of the 60 some teachers on that event I'm an instructor there I'm teaming up with Valérie Jardin who's a, an awesome street photographer and we are holding a four hour session together about limitation in photography and uh, she's uh, covering the digital side and I'm covering the analog side so um, that event is up uh, on outofchicago.com and it is um, yeah it starts on the 21st and uh, there's a promo code <laughs> shamelessly misusing this episode for this there's a promo called Chris and you get $50 <laughs> off if you join and um, I think it's worth it so yeah, sounds like a lot of fun actually oh it, it is it's going to be amazing I mean there's 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 people on there that I'm really in awe of um Lots of great, great photographers. So, yeah. Good. So, Imer, last but yes. not least. Uh, this, uh, my pick of the week came from something I was watching, um, a photographer actually talking about this, and I had to go and look it up. And I was thinking about more you guys than me, because I don't really, um, I don't really use my camera. <laughs> Never mind my flash. So, um, it's like, um, these are magnified modifiers that just, pop on to the front of your flash and you can stack them up and like modular, like you like Adrian, I was thinking of your studio photography. Um, just thought it was a really clever idea and um, not something I'd ever use myself, but I'm sure there's tons <laughs> of people out there 
who uh, would benefit from this, especially actually the per- the photographer I was watching was talking about um, shooting things like weddings. And she said that um, it was just amazing in terms of just how quickly it allowed her to work. So if you're in, in that kind of situation, sure, it's lovely. I just think it's a really lovely looking piece of kit. It and, is um, a lovely looking piece of yeah. kit. And, I, and I've actually used them. I've actually played with them. Okay. So magmods yeah. are, it's it's like, yeah. This they, like they could become kind of invaluable and they're quite yep. um, compact again in, in that nice way. And it fits on it fits on every flash and you mm, just click mm. on whatever filter or, or honeycomb grid or mm. whatever you want. Yeah, Pretty cool so. stuff. Yeah. Very, very cool product. Good. All right. I think that is it for this episode um, again we're on video so um, check out our YouTube we will link to that in the show notes so it just this is just a tap away as a video episode <laughs> you can see us in our little bubbles and uh, we'll be back in a week from now with another episode about well Let's, let's find out. Let's something. Let's find out, <laughs> shall we? Um, you can find us on the web at The Future of Photography. We have a card for that. Look, thefutureofphotography.com. We're on Twitter at TFOBNow and on Insta at TFOBNow. Until then, everyone, take care and bye-bye. Bye, everybody. Bye. You've been listening to The Future of Photography, a production by Adrian Stock and Chris Marquardt. Subscribe to the show wherever you get your other podcasts. Find the show notes and more information at thefutureofphotography.com. Hold up. 